Thanks for listening to the teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church in Mullica Hill, New Jersey. We trust today's message will challenge you and move you closer to Christ. Here's pastor, teacher, and author, Phil Moser. Take your Bibles with me and open up to Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9, that's where we are this morning. And as you do that, I'm going to read a portion of the end of that um, chapter. And as I do that, I'd like for you to stand with me out of respect for God's Word. Let's do that together. Daniel chapter 9, I'll begin reading at verse uh, 15. And now, O Lord, our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself as it is this day, we have sinned, we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill. Because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now, therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy. And for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations in the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by my name. As God adds his blessing to the reading of his word, you may be seated. We have been talking throughout this lesson in the book of Daniel about this idea that the kingdoms of men will not endure, but the kingdom of God will endure forever. In fact, I know sometimes we like to know the details of what's going on in the text, particularly when it has to do with our time or the end times. But I don't want you to miss this overarching idea that the kingdoms of men will not endure, but the kingdom of God will endure or last forever. Now, last week I talked with you briefly about the kingdom idea, and I want to do that again this morning, kind of like in a three or four minute kind of prologue before we jump in. Because I recognize that some of these concepts, these theological concepts, when you hear them over and over and over again, and that's actually when you remember them, okay? So let me just give you a couple of additional ideas regarding the idea of a kingdom. The word kingdom is used some 162 times in the Bible, so it's an important word. Um, We hear it sometimes when we see it in the Old Testament as the kingdom of Israel, and then we hear the word used differently in the New Testament when it speaks of the kingdom of heaven. Jesus himself referenced that on multiple times. So let me just talk with you briefly about a couple ideas that are just inherent in the word kingdom. Here's the first one. A kingdom assumes a ruler and a surrendered people. A kingdom assumes a ruler and a surrendered people. Now, we're Americans, so we don't like the idea of surrender much. We like the idea of independence. But I just want to remind you that in the biblical sense of the term, if there was genuinely a perfect, benevolent king, then the kingdom would be the way to go. Because you wouldn't have everybody's individual ideas saying, oh, I know what's best for me. I know what's best for everybody. I know what's best for everybody in my town. I know what's best for everybody in the nation. I know what's best for everybody in the world. Okay. We wouldn't think that way. We would say the king knows what's best, and we are surrendered people wanting to do whatever he wants us to do. Now, we don't live in that world. I get that. But that's the way that the word kingdom is used. We live in a world where kingdoms are run by men who who are not benevolent but are destructive. 
But I just want to remind you, as we look at that word in the Bible, that's how we're going to think about it. Here's the second idea. A kingdom still exists even if the king is away for a time or ruling from a distance. And Jesus himself did this, often talked about this with those parables. Remember that? He said there was a certain group of men who a master had put in charge of a vineyard. And then he left and he said, I'm going to go away for a while. I'm going to go away for a while. I'm not going to be here visibly, physically. And when he did that, they managed the vineyard. But he started to send them servants to check up on how they're doing. And they would beat the servants and send them out. And Jesus said, then one day, the master of the vineyard, who was a distance away, said, I'm going to send my son. And when the masters, when the, when the servants in the vineyard saw the son, they said, let us kill the son and the vineyard will be ours. Okay. I just want to remind you, that's a satanic way of thinking, that we would suddenly own or have all of this for ourselves. Okay. But the kingdom still exists, even if the king is away for a time or ruling from a distance. And here's my favorite part. A kingdom of surrendered people would always look forward to the return of the king. We wouldn't be like the servants in the vineyard saying, it's ours, we can do with it whatever we please. We would say instead, we cannot wait for the return of the king. Now, last week, I introduced you to three different kinds of ways to look at that theologically, that kingdom idea. One is a premillennialist, that is, that the king would return before the millennium in Revelation began. One is an amillennialist, that is, that the king will return and we don't see the thousand years as literal. One is a postmillennialist, that is, that uh, we will preach the gospel out and the, and the world will change and we'll enter into a golden age and the king will come and be anointed at the end of the millennium. Okay? Now, what we teach here is a premillennial perspective that the king will return prior to, that Jesus will return prior to that thousand-year period. And right now, some of you are thinking, well, where's the rapture fit in that? And I'm going to leave that for Pastor Scott to handle next week, okay? okay. But just know this, all right? <laughs> See, you didn't know I was going to say that, did you? That's great. I love that. <laughs> just remember, Scott, next week, you won't have the last word because I'll be back the week after that, Okay. Um, but here's the point. The rapture only works in a premillennial position, okay? So just kind of put that in the back of your mind and remember that, and we'll come back to that in upcoming weeks, okay? Now, the most important thing you got to know is that we're all looking for the return of the king. And you might be thinking right now, well, I'd like to get a few other things done in my life before the return of the king, okay? And I just want to remind you, if you're in the middle of... Uh, if you're in the middle of rehabbing your house or something, or you're in high school and you want to get your driver's license, okay, when you meet the king, none of that's going to matter. Okay? And this is the great truth, that the kingdoms of men rise and fall, but the kingdom of God endures forever. Now, I've been waiting for Daniel chapter 9 for a long time when I've been preaching, because when you're preaching prophecy, it's really hard to find application. And finally, Daniel just stops the prophecy in Daniel chapter 9, and he prays. Okay? And I can definitely talk to you about prayer and not have to figure out all the word pictures. Okay, so here we go. I want to give you three lessons that we learned from a faithful prayer warrior. Now, I think if I were to ask you this question, tell me what you know about Daniel, somebody would have to say he prayed a lot, okay? And he prayed even if it was going to, if he was even going to go into the lion's den, he was still going to pray. He was still going to throw open the windows, kneel down and pray three times a day, even for all to see, and it didn't matter. He was going to pray. So these are three lessons from a faithful prayer warrior. But if you've ever said, well, Phil, what's the use with praying? I mean, God knows what's going to happen anyhow. Okay. That's right. God knows what's going to happen anyhow. And God actually revealed to Daniel through prophecy some of the things that were going to happen anyhow. 
So not only did God know what was going to happen anyhow, but Daniel knew what was going to happen anyhow. Okay. And still Daniel became this incredibly faithful prayer warrior. In fact, Daniel 9, right in the middle of all of these prophecies, gives us certain instructions about how it is we ought to pray. Now, I dare say if I were to ask any of you this morning, you'd probably say, yeah, I, I know my prayer life needs some work. Okay? So just for a moment, learn from the master, Daniel, what we can know about prayer. When you pray, allow God's Word to inform and shape your prayer. Now, look with me in Daniel chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. And this is what we read. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by a descent Amid, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Okay, just pause and understand this thought for a second. Look with me at two phrases there. The first one is, I perceived in the books, which that's Daniel's way of saying, I opened up my Old Testament scrolls to the book of Jeremiah, and according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet, Daniel says, I knew that Jeremiah had recorded this because God had told him to, it was inspired, and therefore I knew it to be true, and I perceived that I knew when the desolation that was happening in Jerusalem would end. Now, let me just give you a little bit of history. Okay, um, the kingdom divided northern the, the the nation of Israel as you see it now on the map during biblical times divided right after King Solomon. Okay, there was King Saul, there was King David, there was King Solomon. There was a united kingdom, but after Solomon died, his son Rehoboam split the kingdom because he said, "Listen, the best thing we can possibly do is raise taxes. That's what would be best for our people." You say that could split New Jersey in two. Yes, it could, and it tried. Okay, but the point is this. That's what the king said, and it split the kingdom, north and south. Ten tribes went north, two tribes stayed south. The ten northern tribes were taken into captivity by Assyria in 722 BC. They were just pulled out and scattered. But the southern kingdom stayed intact for a little longer. And in 586 BC, that's when Nebuchadnezzar came and took the people out and was started to attack Jerusalem. And he took people back to modern-day Iraq, and that's where, in Babylon, that's where they lived, okay? What's important to know is that Jeremiah had recorded prior to that happening that it would happen, and then he set a date. He set a date and said, you're going to be in captivity for 70 years. Daniel was in that first run of 14-year, 15-year-old kids out of there, and he was carried off, but now he's much older, and he's doing the math. And the reason he's doing the math is because he reads this passage Jeremiah 25, this whole land shall become a ruin and a waste, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Jeremiah is writing this before the king of Babylon has ever come and attacked the city. Then, after 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation and the land of the Chaldeans for their iniquity, declares the Lord, making the land an everlasting waste. Now, watch this. Go back with me to Daniel chapter 1. Darius wasn't Babylonian. He was from the Medes and Persians. Therefore, the king transition had already happened. God was punishing the king of Babylon. Um, Daniel's having his quiet time. He's reading in the book of Jeremiah. He sees that he's got 70 years, and he does the math. Okay? He knows when the people are supposed to return to Israel, these people that are in captivity over in Babylon. This is incredible. You would think that Daniel would just start saying, hey, listen, we're going to go back. Don't worry, folks. We're going to go back. Everything is going to get better. We're going to go back. But instead, he starts to pray. 
You say, well, why does he pray if he knows what's going to happen? Here's why he prays. Because we allow God's word to inform and shape our prayers, inform. If we know the will of God from the word of God, then we know how to pray to God. Okay. Now, that's a mouthful, but just let me say it again. If we know the will of God from the word of God, then we know how to pray to God. Let me show you an example. Right? The Bible says, um, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, for this is the will of God for you, even your sanctification. This is the word of God speaking. Therefore, you can know the will of God. What is the very next phrase that comes? That you would abstain from sexual immorality, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. This is the will of God for you, even your sanctification, that you would abstain from sexual immorality. Therefore, we know the will of God from the word of God, and now we know how to pray to God. Lord, help me in your power, in your strength, abstain from sexual immorality. Jesus said, listen, here's what you should be praying for. You should be praying that God would send workers into the harvest, for the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Right? That's the will of God from the word of God, and now you know how to pray to God. When you pray tomorrow morning, you should be praying that God would send people into ministry in other parts of the world that need the gospel. You're going to meet a few of those people this morning in a minute. You're going to understand that now you know that we should be praying for other people like them to take the gospel out. And by the way, in that process, you should be saying as you're praying, Lord, who do you want me to share the gospel with? Because God is asking for workers to go into the harvest. If we know the will of God from the word of God, then we know how to pray to God. That is how the word of God informs our prayer life. And Daniel got it right. Daniel said, whoa, we're coming up on those 70 years. I better start praying. And that's what he does throughout all of Daniel chapter 9. And you say, well, wait a minute. Why did God put him into captivity for 70 years? Well, the writer of 2 Chronicles tells us that. He says, to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah, same passage, until the land had enjoyed its Sabbaths all the days that it lay desolate, it kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. The, uh, God said, listen, every seven years, I want you to let the land rest. The, the, the Jewish people said, man, we can get something out of that seven years. Why would we let it rest? We want to work it. We want to make a little bit more money. We, it just sounds kind of like many of us, right? We just want to keep working, 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 working. God said, no, 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 you're supposed to rest. I wanted you to rest every night. That's why I said it's uh, evening and morning. That's the first day. I wanted you to rest one day a week. That's why I gave you a Sabbath. But I wanted you to take times of sabbatical rest and other parts in your life, like an extended vacation. Let the land rest. But the Israelites said, we're not going to do it. And they did it that way for 490 years. And at the end of 490 years, God said, that's it. I'm getting all the Sabbaths, but I'm getting it at once. Okay. Seven 70, 7 times 70 is four, 490 divided by 7 is 70. 70 years is what you're going to get. And I'm taking you out of the land because you wouldn't let the land rest when you were in it, so I'm going to let it rest now. Okay. But Daniel sees that we're coming to the end of that period, and so he really starts to pray. Here's the second thing. The reason you want to use the Word of God when you're praying is because uh, if we practice the key parts of biblical prayers, then we know our prayers are properly composed, okay? If we practice the key parts of biblical prayers, then we know our prayers are properly composed. You say, well, what does that mean? That means that when you look at various ways that the Bible talks about, various prayers in the Bible, you begin to pray like Bible prayers, and that's what you want to do, because you want a prayer that's properly composed, 
You say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, just watch this quickly. Um, S.R. Miller says, the prayer, this Daniel 9 prayer, is a model for believers today as they approach God. It proceeds with adoration of the Lord. It is followed by confession of personal and national sin. It concludes with the prophet's petition. Here is the proper order. For only after the Lord is praised and sin is confessed is the believer qualified to offer requests to the holy God. What you and I often fail to do in our prayer is we're so quick to jump into the request that we don't pause to realize this second idea that when you pray, acknowledge the distance between you and God. You and I do not come to God making demands, okay? We want prayers that are properly composed. Um, Randy read a prayer this morning that's uh, 1,100, roughly uh, nearly 1,000 years old. And yet that prayer has stood the test of time because it was properly composed. What about your prayer life? Could it be published, right? Could the way you pray to God, could it fall into, um, could it fall into a prayer book where someone else would pray it? The idea that we would set things in their right places when we pray is so very, very valuable. In fact, just let me share with you why you want to do it that way, okay? Um, And it's going to comprise around three ideas, worship, repent, and we ask. Okay, now, let me just say, like, when we think of composing, you might think of, like, music, and that's probably a good way to think about it. So just let me ask you, which which sounds uh, more encouraging? Something like this. properly composed. Is that what your prayer life would sound like? Or would it sound like this? Now, you find that funny, right? Because you're saying, wow, that would be really hard to listen to. Phil, it would be a lot more reflective. Okay. We want to properly compose our prayer life because then it makes sense and by the way, it's balanced, and it doesn't clash with itself. Right? You want a prayer life that is properly composed, and you would be surprised how often most of the prayers in the Bible actually follow this pattern. But we just tend to focus on the asking part, not worship, repent, and then ask. Now, you got your Bibles? Open up with me to Daniel chapter 9, verse 3. Daniel says, and then I turn my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy and fasting and sackcloth and ashes. Wait a minute. Daniel, I thought you knew the answer. I thought you knew when the people would be returning to Jerusalem. Yes, I did know. And that's why I started to pray. And I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. You're going to notice two things immediately about the worship or praise or adoration. That is, we praise God for who he is and what he does. Look at the prayer again. He says, I praise you, Lord, because you are great and awesome. That's who you are. And this is what you do. You keep covenant and steadfast love. You are the one who keeps your promises and you demonstrate your love. When we worship, we praise God for who he is and what he does. But just for a moment... This is a great way to start your prayer tomorrow morning. You open up your Bible, you're reading, find a biblical prayer. Just pause and start remembering who God is. Okay? 
And it's valuable, I think, in some ways, because he does it here, to separate that from what he does. Because now you're, if, if you always only pray for what God does, if you only thank him for what he does, then when you don't see him doing anything, notice I said when you don't see him doing anything, he's always doing something, but if you don't see it, then you're prone not to have anything to praise him for. But if you start with praising God for who he is, you're great and awesome, then you're always going to be able to move over to what he does. You keep your covenant loving kindness. When we worship, we praise God for who he is and what he does. By the way, when the disciples said, Jesus, teach us to pray, just start it with me. How did Jesus start it? Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Okay, that's who God is. Okay. What comes next? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. That's what God does. Jesus just said, you want to know how to pray? This is how you pray. Start by telling God what you're thankful for about him, who he is, and then move over to what he does. Okay. But for whatever happens, don't simply set as your pattern to jump to the asking. Because when you do that, you are not thinking about the distance that exists between the God of the universe and you. Now, I know God draws near, and we're thankful for that. But you and I have to understand that when we come to him, we come understanding that he is God and we are not. That's why we pray. Now look at what else goes on. The idea of repentance is there as well. When we repent, we acknowledge our failures and request God's forgiveness. Now look with me at Daniel chapter 9. And I'll pick up the reading in his prayer, verse 5. Once, Daniel only gets one sentence out about the fact that God is great and awesome and he keeps his covenant and immediately he realizes the distance between he and his people and God. Verse five, we have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes and our fathers, to all the people of the land. Just look at the action here. We've sinned, we've done wrong, we've acted wickedly, we've rebelled, We've turned aside. We haven't listened. Okay. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us, open shame, as at this day to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those who are near and those who are far away. He's far away, right? In all the lands to which you have driven them. Daniel is serving over in Babylon, 600 miles away from where he is in Jerusalem, but he's saying whether we're here or whether we're there, we all are still sinning. Verse 8, to us, O Lord, belongs open shame to our kings, to our princes, to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. Now notice, see what happens when he remembers what they've done? How he immediately jumps over to what God did. Verse 9, to the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him. And have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets, all Israel, has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses, see how he's weaving the word of God back into it. The servant of God have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. He has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us by bringing upon us a great calamity. What's the great calamity? The fact that our city was destroyed and we were carted 600 miles off. Daniel was a refugee. Okay. He was a refugee living in another part of the world. For under the whole heaven, there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. Now, just for a moment, you may say, well, there's been a lot of bad things done. Okay, just imagine this for a moment. Solomon's temple 
was staggering. There was gold, there was all kinds of stuff around it. In fact, it was like one of the seven wonders of the world. And in just a few months, all of it was destroyed. They just took it down. Can you imagine something that, is, that, that, that stood the test of time, that had been built, that, that, that was the place of worship that, that God himself visited in, 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 um, in the Shekinah glory? All of that was just gone, right? And here is Daniel who spent his entire adult life in another part of the world. As it is written, verse 13, in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us Yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore, the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that he has done, and we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself, as at this day we have sinned, we have done wickedly. When you begin to read Daniel's prayer, you begin to hear that Daniel's just saying all he can remember is where he is and where God is. It's okay. exactly where you want to be in your prayer. By the way, go back to Jesus' pattern. Our, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day, what? There's the asking, and What? Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. There's the repenting. If you want to learn to pray in such a way that you know you're confident and dependent on the Lord, this is it. It's got to lead with worship. It's got to have repentance. Because in that moment, you see the distinction between where God is and where you are. Wow, we are so quick, including myself, we are so quick to say to somebody, I'll pray for you. And yet, we often kind of forget to pray for them. And when we do pray for them, it's quick. Lord, keep them safe. Okay. It's got to be more than that. Because when difficulty comes, as it came to Daniel and the Israelites, you are not prepared if you haven't learned to pray this way. Now, for just a moment, imagine. There's a great calamity that comes in your life. Would your prayer sound like this? Or would it just be, help me, God? Would it start with you praising God for who he is and then have this whole significant section where you are not only praising God for who he is, but you're repenting, right? That's how Daniel prays. If I were to ask you, uh, give me the top five men who in the Old Testament you would think would be godly men, Daniel would have to make the list, right? He'd have to be in the list. And yet here he is spending how many verses, some seven or eight, eight, eight Eight verses repenting for not only his sins, but the sins of his people. Let's talk about asking. Last part. When we ask, we ask humbly, knowing God is God and we are not. Okay? This is the perfect posture of prayer. And we only get there when we remember all that God is. He's great and awesome. And we remember all that we are. We're sinners who keep failing even though we keep trying. Okay? By the way, there's not discouragement in that. Daniel reaches for the mercy of God which you'll see in a moment. When we ask, we ask humbly, knowing God is God and we are not. Now, here's the thing. We want to compose our prayers to match this biblical pattern. Uh, sometimes I've described it. In, in my own life, I've used the prayer acrostic pray. Um, 
praise, repent, ask, yield. That works too. You just want to find a way to start to develop your prayer life by looking at the sections of it, not simply by saying, I want what somebody else has, I just don't know how to get there. Increase your sections. Increase the praise section. Increase the repentance section. Um, we usually don't have too much of a tr- problem increasing the asking section, okay? But work those other sections of your prayer time. By the way, you can sometimes use prayers right out of the Scripture to do this. For years, I've prayed when I don't know how to pray for someone, and uh, when I'm praying for you all through the church directory, which is also why it's important that you register here, because we don't know who you are if you don't, okay? Um, when I'm praying through the church directory and I don't know you, Here's how I pray for you. I pray that you would grow big spiritually because Paul prayed in Colossians 1 that we would bear all fruit, be big, increase in the knowledge of God, I, give thanks in all things, G, strengthened with all power. So that's my standard prayer when I don't know how to pray. Rather than say, Lord, I don't know how to pray for these people, I'm going to reach to a biblical pattern, just Colossians 1, 10, that you would be bearing fruit, that you would be increasing in the knowledge of God, that you'd be giving thanks, that you'd be strengthened with all power. Knowing that if I'm praying the Word of God for you, then I'm much closer to the will of God for you than if I'm just guessing, right? Like, the last thing you want is somebody that's guessing, praying for you, right? I mean, imagine if you went to get your car repaired and the mechanic came out and he said, I'm not sure. Uh, I, I, think it might, I think you might have a bearing gone out on the right wheel. And you say, but the wheels are fine. It's the engine that's a problem. Oh, yeah, maybe it's the engine that's a problem, okay? You don't want somebody guessing at repairing your car. How would you like to go to a doctor? And you'd say, doctor, I'm here because my heart doesn't feel well. Well, we're going to work on your knee. Why are you working on my knee? I don't know. It's just a good guess. Why would we ever want to pray that way? Bring your prayers back to the prayer patterns of Scripture, and you're far more effective in praying because you're praying the will of God through the Word of God for the man or woman of God. Now, notice what happens as we ask humbly. This is the passage we read at the beginning. Just look at it in closing. And now, O Lord, our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand. See, there's almost a crescendo here. Daniel's saying, "Uh, I remember you split the Red Sea. Um, And you have made a name for yourself. That is, people know you, God, better than they know us. O Lord, according to your righteous acts. See it? There it is again. God is righteous. And your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem. That is, we are deserving of that part, right? Because of our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers. See, this prayer is closing with him actually just, it's all coming together. He was praising God. Now he's repenting. Now he's coming back. Watch this. Now, therefore, O Lord, our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and his pleas for mercy. When you and I understand who God is and who we are, we understand we're just coming for mercy. We're not thinking we can impress God in some way. And then he goes on to say, uh, oh, my God, incline your ear to hear, that is, hear my request, right, and your eyes to see, that is, see what is happening. I love this. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. And there it is. I see God as God, and I see who I am, and I can clearly see the distinction. He says, it's not because of anything we've done. It's because of your great mercy. There's one more thing that's going to happen when you pray, okay? You ready? When you pray, allow God's word to inform and shape your prayer. When you pray, acknowledge the distance between you and God. Here's the last thing that's going to happen. When you pray, realize the spiritual realm is at work. When you pray, realize the spiritual realm is at work. Now, look with me at the end of Daniel chapter 9. 
And watch what happens. Well, not the end. Pastor Scott will take that next week. Look at Daniel chapter 9, verse 20. He says this, while I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sins of my people Israel and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God, while I was speaking in prayer, the man of Gabriel, that's the angel, whom I had seen in the vision at the first, came to me in swift flight at the time of evening service. And he made me understand, speaking with me and saying, oh, Daniel, I have now come out to sight I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out. Whoa, stop right there. When you started praying, Daniel, something happened that nobody down here saw. That is, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you that you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Are you kidding me? Did you realize when you pray... Something happens in the spiritual realm. Okay, this is why you want to compose your prayer properly, okay? It's just not you that's hearing it. By the way, I know it's easy for us to, to, let me just push pause and talk about something. I know it's easy for us to say, listen, I don't like to pray out loud because people will hear my prayer and and I, I struggle with my words, okay? That should be the least of your concerns. Do you understand when you pray, okay, God is listening. Do you understand when you pray, someone up there is directing traffic. Michael, go that way. Gabriel, go that way. Uh, This person prayed, we got to move. That's what's happening. There is something in the spiritual realm taking place. Now, a few weeks ago, we started to pray for the nation Ukraine. And we prayed specifically for six pastors who were ministering there because now their work is full-time, like basically caravanning refugees out of the country or taking food into war-torn places or hiding out in basements and holding worship services. Okay. We're only looking at the surface. Now, just for a moment, take your Bibles. Look with me at Daniel chapter 6. Let me show you something real quick. Okay. Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. This is Daniel praying. He's praying, and now you know why he's not afraid to keep praying. We think it's all about Daniel. Daniel understands his prayers are moving something spiritually. Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. When Daniel knew the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. He doesn't interrupt it, okay? The, the uh, other magicians there, they say, hey, we caught him in his prayer. They just think it's working at that level. And they say, uh, great, he's going to be thrown in the lion's den and we get a job advancement because Daniel's off the, Daniel's off the, the ladder of acceleration and, and we're, we're going to get a job advancement. That's not at all what's happening. You know that Daniel is kept, kept alive in the lion's den. But what I want to show you, just for a moment, let me pull back the curtain and show you what kind of thing is happening. Take a look at Daniel chapter 10, verse 12. Daniel's praying. Verse 11, and he said to me, this angel, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. And then he said to me, you've been making requests, Daniel, here it comes. Fear not, Daniel, For from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard. And I have come because of your words. Okay, now get ready for this, okay? Verse 13. 
The prince of the kingdom of Persia, that's understood as an evil angel, withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia. What? Daniel was praying, and an angel was moving, Gabriel was moving, and he was opposed by an evil angel? And now God sends another angel to break him out of that opposition, whatever that looks like? If you knew that was happening, would you pray for something more than two days, more than three days, more than four days? Would you labor at prayer for 21 days, knowing that the spiritual realms were working while you were praying? You just got to let that thought kind of settle in. We pray for the nation of Ukraine and the people. And yet what is working underneath that, obviously, is God, God working incredibly righteous acts in some people's behalf and evil working on the other behalf. And what makes us think for a moment that our prayers aren't valued? In fact, um, just this morning I read from a friend of mine uh, who posted of a woman who was rescued from a church in, um, in European. You may know European Ukraine was decimated, right? Right outside of Kiev. She writes, Dear Church, thank you for your prayers. I am at a safe place now. Special thanks to my deacon Oleg. Shooting, bombing, last night as usual. Three of my neighbor's houses are abandoned. Just about 20 to 30 meters away from my place were burned yesterday. Praise the Lord it didn't hit me. It is a very dangerous place to live, to stay there now. But God is our defense. I learned to pray every single minute valuable experience. Can you and I fathom that? This is someone who understands that the prayers are not only working on their behalf, but when we pray, the spiritual realm is at work to change the way we pray, right? When you pray, allow God's word to inform and shape your prayer. When you pray, acknowledge the distance between you and God. And when you pray, realize the spiritual realm is at work. That's how a man learns to pray in such a way that when someone says to him, listen, we're going to kill you tomorrow in the lion's den if you pray again. He says, what? Why would I not pray again? That is a part and pattern of what I do, because Daniel understood these truths. We trust you've been encouraged by today's lesson. For resources to help you move forward in Christ, we invite you to check out our website, aboutfbc.org, or our Facebook page, Fellowship Bible, Mullica Hill. Mullica Hill.